Worshiping God is engaging and powerful. The words in the songs we sing move us to encounter God. But sometimes these songs say some interesting things. Some talk about God being a lion. But should we think about this kind of lion? Or this kind of lion? Then, in the same song, they talk about God as a lamb. But what does that really mean? These ideas actually come from the Bible. But how do they work? How is God like a fire? Or a light? Or the wind? What if we can understand who God is through? Metaphors, through metaphors. Come on, everybody. How you doing this morning? Oh, man, dude, I love the energy in this room. It just excites me. It excites me. It excites me to be with my family this morning. It excites me to be with you. You are my family. Spiritual family something that we believe in big time here. Value that. We believe in family. We believe that every Okay, there we go. We believe that every person in this place really, really does matter. Um, that God made you on purpose, for purpose. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18, I pray that by the end of today that you would have this epiphany that it really does matter that you're here and that you have a part to play and that you're uniquely made. And so I'm excited about uh, talking about metaphors. I won't lie, this has been a little stretch for me. Um, I, although I am poetic and a little abstract, I go Enneagram 4 real quickly. Any Enneagram fans out there? Yeah, so I go Enneagram 4 Okay, hand up the mic. All right, all right. Come on, come on, come on. There is, man. Except nobody online be able to hear us, you know. My wife be like, hey, come on, get a microphone. And so she's, she's at home. She's sick. Y'all be praying for Brandy. But, um, you know, as I was saying, is I really do feel like that everybody in here matters and is significant and and uh, as we turn to Jeremiah 18 and we, we look at our unique abilities, our unique makeups, um, we, we realize that uh, so Enneagram 4s are abstract and we can get in real heady and real melancholy and, and we're, we're feelers, you know. And so as you're, as you're grabbing the word and you're, you're, um, the Lord has called me to preach the word on Sundays to encourage the body, I won't lie, man. You notice like every Sunday is a little bit different, isn't it? like, man, has Pastor Ben amped this morning or is he melancholy? Is he, is he going to be high or is he going to be low? I hope that's okay. Um, some of that's some unpredictableness and uh, some unpredictability and, and, and some of that's hard to stomach, but I'm thankful that you stomach it with me. And um, all that say is I'm glad you're here and that's, that's a bunch of excuses for me to preach the word this morning. Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 1 through 4 says this, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Let me set this up real quickly. Jeremiah is a prophet right now for, for the land of Judah. Israel is divided into two kingdoms. You have Israel and you have Judah. And Jeremiah is a prophet to Judah basically saying, hey, get your act straight. Start acting right. Because what they were doing is they were going outside of church and they were making sacrifices to other gods. They were living for other gods than the one true God, Yahweh. 
And so they were sacrificing things to pagan gods and, and trying to get notoriety from the people in maybe the town center in the squares and, and trying to placate. Maybe it was in order to get some trade deals. Maybe it was for financial gain. Maybe it was for spiritual gain. Maybe it was for friendship. But whatever it was, they were betraying the God of gods, the king of kings. They were betraying this God of Israel. And so what God did is when, when kings were going their own way, when the people were going their own way, God would send prophets to the land in the Old Testament to, to be the voice of God to the people of God, the chosen people, to set them straight. How many of you know we need to be set straight sometimes? I'm grateful because the church today helps set each other straight. That you and I being a community help set each other straight. The governance that we have in the New Testament, the government we have today as Christ is ascended in heaven, he is the king, he is Lord of lords, he is the ruler, and here we are, he's given us governance to set the church in order, to set the church straight. And so, so I'm thankful we've always needed peop other people. How many know you need somebody else? Left to your own schemes, your own ways, your own demise, you would be... You would be a poor soul, to say the least. I would be a poor soul. This isn't finger pointing. It's pointing to me. I need this type of leadership. And, and Judah needed this type of leadership. They needed Jeremiah to come to prophesy. You realize that the, 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 the sacrifices that they were commencing outside um, some of us have maybe uh, worshipped other gods for approval. Maybe we've compromised some of our integrity, some, uh, some of our uh, belonging points in order to belong, and, and, we've, and we've compromised some of our value system. Maybe it was for promotion in the workplace. Maybe it was within your marriage. Maybe it's within your friend group. Maybe it's at university or wherever it may be. Uh, but the, the, the violation that was happening outside the temple, they were moving all the way up to kids' sacrifice, believing that if they sacrificed their firstborn to this God, that, that favor would bestow, be bestowed upon them. Can you imagine that? It's, it's horrific. And so Jeremiah comes on the scene, and he starts speaking, and he starts warning them. And it's not too late Judah, it's not too late. And in verse 1, we read the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. says in verse 2, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house. And there he was working at his will. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. This is an incredible verse. It's real common. We know about this verse, the, the potter and the clay. And I want to look at this particular verse and how it applies to us. You see, oftentimes as we go through life, and I know this to be true even today, that sometimes we felt like the spoiled clay. We feel like clay that, that maybe wasn't shaped just right or just perfect. We feel like we're maybe misshaped. and Maybe there's some imperfections with us. Some flaws inside of us, some, some moments inside of us. Oh, God, you really messed up on this vessel. Am I the only one who's had thoughts like that before? Thoughts of some insignificance, some thoughts of why did you make me like this? And so what do you do when there's spoiled clay? What do I do with those insecurities and those notions and being made like this and, and, and all, the, all of what I look like in the mirror or when I look out and I look at humanity and I go, man, it's jacked up out there, isn't it? 
the news cycles and the media and the and the the different agendas within our different institutions and all the stuff that is happening right now we're just like man there's some spoiled clay out there some spoiled clay so what do we do when when we have spoiled clay the first thing we need to do is we need to we 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 can take a couple of uh, a couple of notes from Jeremiah the first thing he does is he arises say arise you have to get up you have to get up. If you're going to speak into somebody's life, into this generation, into the next generation, into the older generation, if you're going to be the voice of God, you have to arise. Everybody say, get up. Get up. This is, must happen, that we must get up and we must speak up. We must get up and we must uh, arise to the occasion. And this is what Jeremiah does is he arises. He gets up. And he realizes that God's put him on mission and purpose for Judah. And I, I know that we're not Jeremiah's in one sense. We're not speaking to Judah, but we're speaking to the church. We're speaking to the people of God. We're speaking to the community around us. We're, 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 we're arising and we're starting to speak up to the people around us. But a lot of times, I don't want to get up. Am I the only one who doesn't want to get up? You know what I mean? Like 5 a.m., the alarm clock goes off. And what do you do? Snooze. Snooze. It just sounds fun to say. Why is that word so fun to say? It would have been great if they labeled that other than snooze, you know? If they would have made it something a little more annoying. But snooze. That sounds so comforting. How many of you have been comforted by the snooze button as of late? You're right? A few of us. Right. I love hitting the snooze button and I just will keep snoozing half the battle, half the battle. What God has called us to is to quit hitting the snooze and to get up. To rise, to wake up. God has mission and purpose for you. He has set you apart to rise and get up. Why? Because God wants to say something. Everybody say, say something. God wants to speak. You may remember Samuel, 1 Samuel. You have, you have God awakening him and speaking, and, and, and it was time for him to wake up, and he was speaking. God wants to speak to us. And where, where does he want us to arise and go to? Down to the potter's house. See, we must arise and we must go down because when we go down to the potter's house, God has something that he wants to say, something he wants to speak, and I love that. Anybody follow T.D. Jakes, the potter's house? I was studying this week, and I was realizing the significance of that name over that church, the potter's house. Because it's in the potter's house that you observe what God wants to speak and shape into individuals. It's in the potter's house that formation begins to happen. It's in the potter's house that many things begin to happen and take 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 hold of and start to formulate and and it's in the in the potter's house i liken it to this that luminous should be a potter's house that that i do believe that god still speaks and says things that are relevant to our life that are applicable to our life that there will be some shaping and some formation that happens within us when we step into this place that's why you showed up today you showed up because you needed a word of God and you need to start being changed and shaped and formed and, and that God wanted to move on you. And it's in the potter's house. There he, he steps into and he goes into. And this is where pots are formed. This is where metaphors come to life. It's where God can speak merely through observation by observing what he is cultivating 
what he has happened. The next thing I want to say is that we must be a people who hear through observation. Not just hear the, the direct voice, but we must hear by just observing what's going on inside of the potter's house. How many of you sometimes in worship, you just sit there and observe? You just observe. You just kind of pray to yourself. You're praying and you're asking the Lord to show up and you're just watching and looking and seeing how he's moving. I want to tell you, like, we, the worship team hates when you do that, by the way. They're like, can you raise a hand, please? I mean, why are you, why are you looking around? But I'm telling you, if you came in with the right spirit and the right attitude, there are people who come in to observe. And they're observing what God's doing. They're observing how he's moving, how he's shaping, how he's transform, transforming lives. I love the fact that I get the front row to what God is doing in your life. I get to be a front row observer of seeing how God shapes and moves and forms you. I get to see when God begins to touch and tears begin to stream down. And you don't even know why they're streaming down. But I know that God is moving. He's moving in that person right there. He's showing up for that person. Do you believe that God can show up for you in your chair where you are this morning? I just believe that. I believe it. I've been doing church now. For 40 years I've been doing church. In ministry, I've been in ministry for 20 years, and I've just been getting to watch what God has been doing and shaping and making within these chairs, within his house. We must be people who watch. Observational learning is actually a thing. Any, any counselors in here? Psychiatrists, psychologists, you're, you're looking in this observational learning. There's four things in observational learning that I think we could take from. And, and these are some secular, uh, uh, when I say secular, maybe not derived uh, from, from Scripture necessarily, although we're actually seeing derived in this very passage. But the first thing we may look at is the first thing you need is attention. Everybody say attention. If you're going to be an observational learner, you must have your attention fixed on the thing you're observing. Now, this is hard for the ADHD pastors. Can I get an amen? You know, it's, it's hard for those who, who can't really focus all that well and all that often. Uh, when, I, when God wants my attention, I'm like, everybody be quiet. Don't talk to me right now. Please don't turn on the television. Don't open Instagram. Why did that newsfeed notification come through? Why is that person calling me? I mean, it, it seems like there's more distraction than ever when you're trying to observe something. You're sitting there during a worship set, and you really are observing, and God's moving. And then here comes Pastor Ben coming to talk in here. Man, that rain was bad this morning. Like, man, I'm observing. Observation, we need attention. The next thing is we need retention. Everybody say retention. Retention. We need to remember the behaviors that we're witnessing. We need to remember these. We need to retain these. If, you have, if you're so focused and you're attuned to what's happening, but you don't retain it, it didn't really leave you with any good, didn't it? Did it? This is important because I think that this observational learning is applicable to the verse that we read and what Jeremiah was observing with the potter and the clay. But it's also very imperative for this moment, every Sunday we come into this place. The third thing we look at is it must be reproduction. The, the, this behavior concerns the physical and mental ability of the individual to copy the behavior he or she observed. 
That if we're going to be observers, observational learning, that it must be reproducible. Now, there's things that the Holy Spirit will do and how he'll move that aren't reproducible. We look in this passage that there may be some things that we can't reproduce. For we are not the potter, but you are the clay. There are some things that are reproducible. A clay that moves with the potter. This, This dance. This moment as God is shaping and he's sovereign and he's showing up, there is clay that is more malleable. Is that the right word, David? More malleable than than other clays. Some clays are hard. You need it and you put water and you need it and you put water and God's needing us and put water. But sometimes we need to be in positions to be needed. You know, we need to be positions, right, to be pounded. We need to be in positions, right, to move. Now, some of those we don't control. There are trials and circumstances and sickness and disease and strongholds and rough relational situations and spouses that don't really behave like they should. Speaking of myself. And there's these moments that happen, but, but, but there's also these moments where I can get... In God's presence, and I say, water me. Put your water on me. Do a work in me. Shape me. Move me. Mold me. There's an important part. There's an important part to play. I, I want to let you know. And we can look at this. If we were to exegete this text all throughout Scripture, we would see that there needs to be a people to move into God's presence. And when we move into God's presence, God starts moving and working on our lives. The fourth thing is we must be motivated. Everybody say motivation. You have to be motivated to learn. Motivated. If we just sit back, there's no motivation. My question is, why did you show up to church today? What was your motive? What did you come to be a part of? Why did you come today? I believe that there is great motive in our church, that we're hungry for God. Some of us just came in, our motives, because we needed to eat. We needed to drink. Our souls were dry. They're weary, and we knew it. So we didn't hit snooze, but we woke up. We showed up, and God is moving in our lives. We must see what God is doing. Verse 3. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. And so what the potter does, he starts working at his will. He wasn't, it's great that God was tapping Jeremiah on the shoulder to come down, and I want you to observe when the potter's at work, not when the potter's taking a break. And he steps in, and what does he see? He sees the wheel, and he sees the foot, and he sees it spinning, and here the potter is, he's Centering the clay, because if you don't center the clay perfectly, right, you know this, it'll, the centrifugal force will shoot it off of the wheel. So he's centering the clay, he's molding the clay, he's getting it just right, just perfect, and then he's building the clay, and the clay is forming, and it's being formed into a beautiful vase. A beautiful moment. This is what God does for us is that when you look at the potter, you're able to look at the intent of the potter. The intent of the potter is to center the clay. The intent of the potter, right, it's to make a beautiful vase. The intent of the potter is to make something useful 
right? And not something that would be tossed away. He has great intent. And I want to tell you, as you see God move in your life, God has great intent over your life. God is intentional with you when he made you and formed you and knit you together. And when he breathed life into you, he was intentional and he's moving you into the center. Intention is important as we're looking at the potter, for the potter is not there to destroy, but to create and make. God in our life is not here to destroy and to mess up your life and to give you a life that's all jacked up. He's not, he, he's not like, man, this person really needs to be lonely. Let's just put loneliness on them. Oh, this person, oh, this person needs to be depressed. Let's put depression on them. No, God's intent's great. His character is great. And we need to know this. Because sometimes we project our feelings on God that are not true to who he is in his very nature. And when you get married, you'll know this real quickly. So Brandy and I, sometimes we have, you know, some heated fellowship, as Pastor Edgar says. We have a little heated fellowship, and she says things, you know, like the way that she says things. I just, I wish that she could just say I'm a little more gentle. You know, a little more lovely. Uh, just use a little bit more adjectives of affirmation. But she doesn't. Straight to the point. Quick. Boom. Harsh. And I'm like, oh, that hurt. And I go in a funk. And I'm like, man, that really hurt me when you said that. She goes, well, you, you know my heart. I love you. I love you. You know my heart. You have to know who I am. You have to know me. You have to know my intent. That particular moment wasn't malicious. It wasn't to hurt you. Oh, yes, it was honest, brutally honest. You got to know the intent. And if you don't know God's intent, it can sever the relationship. The potter had an intent as he's moving. In fact, we see in verse 4, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, which basically means that it was, it, it crumbled. Yeah, it, it was spoiled. Maybe there was a lump in the clay. Maybe there was an air bubble. Maybe there was something that he couldn't get out. And so he started over. And in this story where we see Israel, there's some lumps in the clay. And there's these moments that are happening that, that you are God's people. You are God's chosen people. I've chose you to do my good work in the land. And yet you are moving in a way that I do not like. And so it's spoiled. And so I'm going to have to refashion you, reshape you. This is what... The writer is saying as he's pinning what Jeremiah is hearing and speaking. This is what we know. But this is also true for our lives, isn't it? That there are times in our lives where God is just like, I'm remaking you. I'm reshaping you. I'm reforming you. I'm coming and I'm going to work it out. That, that, that I have good intent for this work. For my workmanship. For the people made, created. I will move. There's a time, there was a time in my life. There was a time in my life when I was depressed and anxious. There was a time in my life when I was paralyzed with anxiety and fear and worry. There was a time in my life that didn't line up with who I was intended to be. And God moved. And he reworked the clay 
And in verse 4, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to the potter to do. There was a time in my life when I was anxious, when I was frustrated, when I was depressed, but God started reshaping me, and although I felt spoiled, he came and he started reworking the clay. He started applying the right pressure and the right amount of water on the sponge, and he started reforming and reshaping. Jesus started changing my life. Has there been a time in your life? Has there been a time in your life and in the life of Israel, there was a time in the life of Israel when they were falling short, but God was not done with them. Seventy years they would go to captivity. Seventy years they would be reworked and reshaped that they would start moving. God was going to rework them, reshape them. This is what he does, that God constantly moves in a way that changes our life. There was a time in my life I was anxious, depressed, fearful, worried, panic attacks. But then I met Jesus. He started reshaping me and reforming me. And my life, after being in the potter's hand, And being shaped and formed and becoming this clay that is becoming useful, I now have purpose. I now have destiny. I find myself confident, walking, no longer anxious, but walking in the joy of the Lord. I find myself a life that seemed lost, was now redeemed. My life completely formed by him. Do you have a story like that? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I have plans for you. Yes, I have plans for Jeremiah. Yes, I have plans for Israel. I have plans for the chosen nation of Israel. I have plans for them. But I want to tell you, I have plans for you. I didn't come to save those who were found. I came to save the lost. I came to save sinners. I came to bring the sheep back into the fold. I came for you because there is a plan for your life. There is purpose for your life. There's destiny for your life. And that I will move you and reshape you and transform you. And you will have form and function. You see, a vase has form and function. It's shaped, but the function's to hold. To be filled up. In Genesis 2, 7, God doesn't waste a breath. How many of you know God doesn't waste a breath? God doesn't waste a breath. God does not waste a breath. You are no wasted breath in this room. That when he created man, he formed them out of the dust just like clay. And he shaped them and he formed them and he breathed life into them. And he said, this is my people. I've come to walk with them. And if they're lost, I will go and find them. If they're, if they're straying, I will search after them. I will seek them and call them back to myself. This is what he does. This is what Jesus does. 
is what God does. And this is what Jeremiah is observing in the potter's house. Clay being formed, being centered by the potter, being shaped so that it could have function. But how many of you know some pots of clay just don't end up like they, they're supposed to? Once they go under the fire and the pressure and they get heated, if there's any air bubbles in there, what happens? It shatters. So outside of the potter's house, as we fast forward to Matthew chapter 27, outside of the potter's house, there's a field. And in that field would be where shattered pots would be thrown back. The pot may have not made it quite how it was supposed to be made. Maybe it broke. Maybe it, it, it wasn't quite perfected. So they're thrown into the field. The potter's house has a field where the clay pots are thrown into. In Matthew 27, I'll summarize it. But it says this, that Judas, when he betrays Jesus, 30 pieces of silver are given For the betrayal of Jesus. He betrays him with a kiss, but then quickly regrets it. Quickly realizes he messed up. How many of you realize he messed up? He did something wrong. So he takes the silver, he gives it back to them and says, I can't take this. Well, the Pharisees decided, you know, we're going to betray the king of kings. We're going to betray Jesus. But let's, let's enact the law right now in this moment. With this money, we can't buy anything for it's blood money. Everybody say blood money. So what are we going to do with this blood money? This money that with the betrayal of Jesus, they were going to go to the potter's house. And there they would buy a field. And that field would be a graveyard. But the beautiful thing about it is, is what you see as broken vases and broken vessels paid for by blood money, in reality, that was a foreshadowing of Jesus paying for in blood those who have been broken and making them whole. This is what Jesus is doing for us. He's taking broken vases. He's bringing them back, and he's making them whole by his blood. This is what God does. Why does he do this? Because he must form us and give us function. He comes and fixes that which is broken in order to fill it, to fill it up. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and let the light of Christ shine upon you. Look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Everybody say, filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 2 says, you are his workmanship. He's not giving up on you. He's making you. He's redeeming you by his blood, and he's paying the price for you so that you could be made whole. And he's forming you, and he's giving you function, and he's filling you. How many know two vases are never the same? Two vases are never the same. Oh, sure, maybe in an assembly line, maybe through some machine or mechanism, but not from the potter. 
Each one is uniquely shaped and uniquely moved. And as a vessel, we don't look at the other vessel and say, whoo, look at you, you're a small vessel. Well, you sure are a big vessel. Are you even a useful vessel? Would oftentimes be our remarks to the body of Christ, to those on our left and right. But realize the vessel may look different. But all the vessels have the same function. They all have the same purpose. And the purpose is to be filled. Filled with the Spirit. Filled with Him. To know Him. To be loved by Him. Filled. As we're filled, that's our function. And through that filling, we overflow into other vessels, into other people. I have an application for us today. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I think oftentimes there's usually two sets of people. Some vessels coming in, all shaped and, and ready. Some, some pieces of clay coming and, and they're ready. And there's other pieces of clay that are still broken. They're still in the field waiting to be redeemed. And for you who don't know Jesus, waiting to be redeemed. If you're broken and in pieces, I would say this. Let Christ's blood come and heal. And pray this prayer if you feel like you're a broken vessel. You don't know him yet. You don't have a relationship with the potter. You've never met him. His hands have never touched your life. They've never formed you. They've never shaped you. But you want to know him. You want to be with him. There's a simple prayer I would ask you to pray, and it would be this. God, I'm broken. I feel like the vase that is shattered. I acknowledge my sin has separated me. Forgive me. I believe in you, Jesus. Take me and make me yours. And lastly, Lord Jesus, I commit to follow you. I want to be reshaped by you, reformed by you, renewed by you. The second person in here. I feel like sometimes it's easy for the clay to be on the wheel, but just not centered. Just not centered. As we're looking at this metaphor, we're just not quite centered. We're just fighting the potter over and over and over again. And I would just encourage you some things. Let your first be his. Let your first thought be his when you wake up. Let your first dollar be his as you give and spend. Let the first article you read be his and his word. Let him be the first one you look at in the morning. That would be my prayer for you this week. That he would be your first. I want to pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Jesus, thank you that we are the clay and you are the potter. God, make us new, renew us, shape us, transform us. Lord, we want to be filled by you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.